RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Wednesday morning at RCR. That's our legal hub. We do this every Wednesday morning. And Nick Kearney and Katie Ashby Cobbins join us again. Hi, guys. Morning. Morning, everybody. Okay. Where do we start? Maybe because um, especially you, Katie, have been talking about this uh, pretty uh, regularly over the last few weeks or so, and that is the submissions on the Department of Internal Affairs. Oh, I forget what they call it now. Well, that's because it's such a long uh, subject or subject line that it's impossible actually to remember. And yep. having filled it out and completed the submissions, uh, well, three separate submissions for various organisations, over the um, last week. I still don't know what it's called, um, other than it's unlaid censorship laws uh, by any other name. Yeah, just trying to shut us up, basically, in the end. Okay, so first up, it, it seemed to be a very compressed time period to submit. That's Why correct. would that be on such an important thing? Perhaps uh, they're under a tight time frame. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything's got down to ridiculously tight timeframes lately. I'm surprised that they're ever giving us an opportunity to comment. Uh, And I could even go so far as to say that any opportunity to comment might be token uh, because I'm not sure that they're going to necessarily read uh, all of these submissions. But, um, yeah, it's a tight timeframe. It's one that's being adopted. I know in Australia they have extended the time frame for reply, yeah. but they're actually at the bill stage, which means legislation is drafted. Here we're at the um, preliminary concept stage and a gifted 120 uh, pages setting out all of the reasons why uh, the uh, proposal should be considered or what the basis of the proposal will be. Uh, sorry, how many pages? Are. How many pages? 120, I think it was. Nick was just... Uh, 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 yeah, I was just having a tally up, and I've just brought it up online. Not quite that many, uh, but not far away. Uh, just give me a second. That, that's a piece of work, isn't nine, it? Nine, 92 pages. That's like a small book. 92 pages. Well, the thing, the thing about it as well is, and, and I'll just go back, that's called, and you love this word, Paul, I know you do, Safer Online Services and Media Platforms. How to protect us all and make us safer from online services and media platforms. So, mummy, mummy will come to our rescue. Uh, nanny, nanny state, uh, more yeah, particularly, nanny, sorry, think, yeah, more particularly. Uh, but nanny can be a man too, by the way. In, no, in, interesting, <laughs> interestingly, um, so there was a, a very pertinent uh, LinkedIn post put up uh, yesterday by Judge David Harvey, a former district court judge. David is very good in this area, and he's been in, uh, involved in, and in fact, he has taught at Auckland University for 20-odd years, uh, uh, internet regulation and and internet uh, law, I suppose, uh, and of course, one of the big um, you know, issues with internet regulation and law is, of course, uh, freedom of expression and opinions and freedom of speech. So he wrote a, quite a good submission, uh, he, well, yeah, he wrote a submission, but he also wrote quite an interesting LinkedIn post he published to LinkedIn. Um, uh, and he made the comment initially that um, that this uh, discussion document had, was meant to have been released halfway through last year. And oh. for, su- for some reason it wasn't. It was delayed and it only was only put out for consultation June this year. Uh, and, of course, we all know that they gave everybody until July 31st to submit on it. 
Um, so uh, for something as fundamentally important and uh, as, you know, um, as lengthy and detailed and everything as this, to give the public, I mean, I didn't realise actually when I looked at it over the weekend to write my own submission, I didn't realise that it actually had only been out in the in the ether for uh, for um, th you know three or four weeks. I thought it had been hanging around for a long time, but of course, um, it, you know, it hadn't been. Um, I thought they'd taken the work of the online forums that they had, which I, of which I attended, to turn it into a discussion document. But when you know how uh, you know, I think if you have a fair idea of how bureaucracy works, there's no chance of that happening because there simply was not enough time between the closing of those online Zoom and discussion forums uh, to um, consolidate everyone's views into this paper. So so this paper um, was certainly, uh, I'd say, I mean, an OAA might actually discover it, but I'm not sure. You can guarantee it's been out there sitting in DIA for a very long time, and they've only given the public four weeks to basically submit on 92 pages of uh, internet regulation and it's something that david judge david harvey made a point of too in his uh, linkedin post that he thought there was nowhere near enough time well that's not good enough is it uh, no uh, clearly no a absolutely not no not if you want to have true and proper public consultation uh, and genuinely hear the views I also don't think that there is the opportunity to be heard on the matter. So it's simply a case of uh, submitting your written comments. Uh, and presumably a lot of people have done quite a bit of work in this area. And who knows if they're even going to read them. And the other thing that what happens here is... Yeah, well, actually, let's just go back to what David Harvey wrote on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, it can be reproduced because it's a public uh, comment, I suppose, or, or post by him. And he said himself, uh, as I say, he's a former district court judge. He's a very considered man in the area of freedom of speech, particularly internet regulation. Um, he said, I was very dissatisfied with the approach adopted by DIA and also with the proposals that they made. I was of the view that the wide-ranging changes they are suggesting to the law surrounding censorship and speech regulation was unnecessary and certainly not in keeping with the provisions of the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act 1988, or 1990, I should say. So that's pretty that's pretty tough coming from a former district court judge. And the, the other sad thing is, you know, um, if you can call it sad, is for now we don't know. I, I presume, and I presume he actually wasn't he wasn't asked to be involved. But of course, DAA have, have got people like him at their fingertips if they want to use him for the massive resources that he has, you know, uh, accumulated in his wisdom basket over sort of twenty plus years. And in fact, probably even more than a judge for about thirty, I think. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but you know he's certainly a, a very considered uh, man, and certainly probably should have. You know, DAA was looking at um, farming this out to exterior consultants for comment and for input. He would have certainly have been one of them, um, and yet I think he's just forced to submit personally. You know, probably into New Zealand, of which I think he was it used to be a member. I'm not sure if he still is. They certainly would have been submitted. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's very satisfactory considering the ramifications of, of where this could go. Yeah, and look, I think he's already drafted something to this effect uh, that is some sort of uh, code or um, uh, caution in respect to online uh, media. Uh, but, you know, he's not been heard. I think I mentioned last week, Nick, that a lot of this work appears already to have been done. 
uh, with NetSafe, and they already had a voluntary code that covered a lot of these things, and it had already identified uh, certain people. So yeah. I don't think uh, Judge Harvey would, or former Judge Harvey, will be um, fitting into the uh, box that they would like uh, this material yeah. to be angled towards. Uh, and I'll also be interested, you know, when all the um, um, dust settles, I suppose, and, and they formulate whatever they're going to do next, uh, to see how they handle uh, these group submissions by the Free Speech Union and others. Because, of course, in the past, uh, and we know this with Three Waters, uh, where there was an organised campaign by the Taxpayers Union and others to submit against Three Waters, and where there were 80-odd thousand submissions, a lot of which almost made the same points, but does it really matter? They grouped it together as one submission. <laughs> so 78,000 equals one, all right? So there's, in fact, there's not 78,000 people opposed to it. There's only one person opposed to it. Um, and I'd be interested, I think, here, you know, I suspect here, uh, if we get to uh, the nub of the issue and, and then look at these submissions, if we're ever allowed to see them, that a large majority of submitters will be against these proposals. I really do think that. Uh, but, they, but they will forge ahead anyway. They'll be able to be sought on OIA if they're not published. Hmm. But the whole process is smacking of, of a charade. Yes, and I think, um, I think that because it requires, as Katie said in Australia, you know, it's, it's already at the point now of the drafting the bill, and I think, you know, uh, I made the point a couple of um, weeks ago that the online session I attended, the, the um, DIA official was quite clear that it's going to require a lot of international cooperation because of the platforms that are that are um, located offshore, the big ones, that is, your, your, your Facebooks, your Twitters and Instagrams and Spotify and what have you, YouTube and what have you. So... Um, a lot of that international cooperation, I'm sure, started uh, a number of years ago. I don't believe that, personally, because they've already shown the uh, big tech that they are quite willing to bend no matter what. Look what happened over COVID. So they're already done. That's a misdirection, in my view. They're targeting okay. people like us is what they're really on about. Uh, I think that this points um, on that. Uh, yes, I agree entirely, certainly for uh, within the jurisdiction of New Zealand. Uh, the comment that uh, we submitted on was the point that uh, New Zealand is uh, unpolitically uh, important and very tiny in the scheme of things. Uh, Facebook and uh, the bigger platforms are going to be particularly well, entirely uninterested and we're going to have no sway in respect to amending or uh, commenting upon any of their codes. Uh, so it is going to be uh, the regulators identifying codes that will apply to platforms like Voices for Freedom and Reality Check Radio exactly. and other freedom groups. Uh, and the power that the regulator has to be judge, jury, executioner and police officer, uh, the you know it's going to be designed very much to um, close out the dissenting voices. Yeah, yeah, it's obvious. But... Uh, but but to say that there's years to go because of lining up the ducks for the overseas platforms, I don't believe that. No, no, I, I think I, we'll have something I, 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 extra. I yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and uh, the other thing interesting is that um, you know when you read the discussion document about who it applies to, yes, it applies to your big platforms that I just previously mentioned, but it, then it goes on to say 
Uh, and yes, if you hosted just a website like a like a political blog, you would have to fall under the the the, the, um, the regulation and the code of conduct as well. So the likes of all the political blogs here in New Zealand, you know, the Kiwi blog that I read occasionally, other but other political blogs. So of course you've got your fine host here, Cam Slater, who runs a good BFD blog, uh, and. Uh, the discussion document said that, of course, those sorts of websites will also be uh, regulated and fall under the code of conduct. And, um, and my experience tells me there's only one thing that regulation does to any business. It, uh, it adds to the cost of the business and uh, makes it more expensive and uh, more difficult to run, basically. And so I think what you'll find is that some smaller players will just find it too difficult and will just have to pop off. Uh, to be honest, and you know, you like your BFDs and and Kiwi Blog and others might be okay. Uh, Voices for Freedom, a reasonably you know um, big organisation now, they're probably be fine. But uh, it's certainly the smaller players, if you can call them smaller players, will probably just not be bothered with any of this rubbish. Uh, and but the other thing is, uh, remarkably, uh, of course, and that's because, and I'll prelude this by saying, and it's, and the reason is because they fall under a different licensing or regulatory regime. The media is completely exempt from all of this stuff. Yeah, well, they're already bought off, so you don't need to worry about them. They know which well, side of the, the, the bread the, it's butted, you know, or however that's yeah. said. So if you've got the other side of the information regime, if I can call it that, having to comply with massive codes of conduct, uh, you know, big regulation, and there are, and these, these are not, a lot of these, apart from your big platforms, you know, lots of BFDs, a very small outfit in the major scheme of things. Now they're trying to compete with uh, the Herald Online and TVNZ and and, and, st- and maybe Stuff or MediaWorks or something in their online platforms, uh, who are not having to, who are not having to comply with the same uh, regulations about their online content and what they put on and what their commenters are allowed to say. Uh, they're not that they don't have to comply, uh, but BFD does, for example. Yeah, and and also that the, the other thing there is it preserves their dying business model because all those other platforms are serious competition. Exactly what it does. Yeah, yeah, so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did we do on place. submissions, Katie? How many came through our um, gateway? Let's say that's a very good question. I think uh, a lot of people kindly shared them. Uh, with me, which was really nice. Nice to see a lot of extra comments that people had added to their submissions. So thank you for everyone who just uh, sent them to uh, or forwarded them on uh, because it was really great to see them. There were a lot of access um, clicks, I believe, to the website. I can get that um, for next time, but yeah. uh, certainly a lot of people reaching out and saying, making comments all the way through. So, and, and, you know, we weren't just the only ones that were doing it. There were lots of people uh, doing it. I think mum did uh, one through uh, maybe the Free Speech Union. And so, you know, it was great to see that a lot of people were out there uh, and, and encouraging people to, to speak there, to speak up. Still no word from politicians. No, I think it's probably like the uh, uh, natural therapies bill. They're, uh, all, they're all... Uh, very cognizant of the issue, but very prepared to uh, you know, see the huge additional cost of a massive regulator being established. Uh, and you know, it, it's all to their benefit, isn't it? You know, you don't give up power once you have it. You'd think, though, there's no downside to campaigning on freedom of speech. But I don't think that that's 
within their campaign. I, no. I have not seen National object uh, no. to anything that has been untoward in this last few years. And there's been a lot. Goodness gracious, you would have had been home in a hose, wouldn't you, as, a, as an opposition? It would have been a piece of cake. Yeah. So, just, just, just on that next, because when I was making my submission and, and I was reading closely the definition that the DIA had of um, harm or uh, serious safe. harm or, or, yeah, yes, being safe or something. Safety. Uh, arguably, and because it mentioned the word uh, medical in there, medical products, right? And arguably, it's on my, my mind triggered, my brain just went, holy hell. So if you've got this therapeutics products bill and you've got, uh, you know, um, health, natural health providers with a website saying this is probably better than taking some horrible medicine from your doctor, uh, that could instantly be shut down because it's, 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 it's not safe and it's harmful. Yeah, actually good point. Uh, you know, under that regime. Well, arguably, that should probably already be captured under the Medicines Act, but... Oh. Yeah, but if it's not captured under the Medicines Act, there's yeah. another avenue here for the regulators to say that's harmful and you're done. You could say anything was harmful, really. Well, uh, and, that, and that, again, is one You could of, twist it to be harmful no matter well, what. Well, funny you should say that because that's one of the points I made in my submission, that there's no test of, of you know, what is... And I actually made the point that how do you harmful to who? I said because I said you know uh, it was harmful to one person, another person brush it off. So surely it has to be harmful to the a reasonable or a reasonable sense of harm or something like that. I made I made a point around that because it, it, you're right, Paul. Um, you know um, what you know what's harmful to conceivably or unsafe to one person. Um, is, is harmful to the regulator. Harmful to the regulator, correct. Yeah. Harmful to the regulator. Harmful to the government. It's yeah. so subjective, and that's the major issue with it. Is correct, yeah. you know, and it's these soft, woolly, fluffy words that you know anything can fit into if the regular so regulator so desired, and mm. that's putting a lot of power in the hands of uh, one person. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. Submissions have now closed. Thirty first of July. Nobody had much time to say their word to be honest. We'll just see where it goes from here. I'll be, I'm sure we'll all be following it quite closely from here. We certainly will. Mm. And a great effort to um, to get those submissions funneled through, Katie. That was really good. Mm. No trouble. And we'll happily share ours online as soon as we can. Uh, they were submitted in time and we received a positive check to say it had been received. Cool. All right. Um, let's move on. What's this Aotearoa survey? Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, interesting, concerning. Um, I was alarmed. So probably about, oh, maybe about three months ago, uh, someone reached out and mentioned that they had had Stats New Zealand at their door and that it was a follow-up to a letter and that Stats New Zealand had, in addition to the censors, wished these people or had requested these people be involved in what's called the Aotearoa survey, uh, which is a six-year survey, uh, supposedly only required uh, half an hour of time a year required. Uh, the survey is to understand the everyday living costs of households throughout New Zealand. The information collected in the survey is to help improve day-to-day -day lives of New Zealanders and to help 
shape the future of uh, New Zealand. Okay. It requires everyone aged 15 and over who lives in the house uh, to be interviewed over a period of six years. Six years. Over six years. Crikey. Anyone aged under 15 will require an adult to answer the questions on their behalf. They've housed uh, that six years. An interviewer will meet at your house or with you uh, to see how things have changed and they'll keep in touch with you between surveys. Well, that's nice of them. It is incredible. Uh, this year alone, 2023, so we've already had the census, this year 7,300 7, new households were added to the list of 5,000 returning households. So that's, you know, that's just house, that's just what, 13, uh, sorry, 12,500 households. So that could be, you know, any number of people, if you've got an average of three people in a household. Uh, and it is very intrusive. It's asking for housing costs, rent, bond, mortgage payments, body corporate payments, local and regional council rates, payments, home insurance, whether you're self-employed, KiwiSaver or private pension. Uh, it is very, very intrusive. Now, why would they be doing this? Because it's easy to work out what the average rent is. Go to the grocery, go to the supermarket, you know what groceries cost, you know what the rates are, you know how many people are by the tax system are self-employed or not. That information's available already. PAYG, you can see things from people's tax returns, how much their income is. This analysis could reasonably be done uh, without having to you know, poke around in people's lives and, and come and visit them every uh, every year for six and you can't pull out minutes. of it, right? Once you've been targeted, you've got to stay with it, do you? you, you well, you, you do. You have to let them know if you're moving on. Um, yeah. So you, you have to give up information. So, yes. again, why would you want to do this? It sounds like a make-work scheme, by the way, in a way, because it'll take armies of people to follow up 13,000 all the time, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you'd, you'd need a dedicated workforce. This is people physically attending at your property. It's not online. And um, it just, it, it, it is very intrusive. Could I say this? Oh. Could I posit this? If you're going to drop a central bank digital currency, do you need to know this information? No. Okay. Well, forget that one then. <laughs> I can't imagine that you would. Well, it's just nosy then. It's not information that's impossible to find out by other means. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's none of your business. Yeah. No. Um, even if you like to think it's your business, it's just over-regulation and, you know, leave people alone. And under what, do you know, Katie, under what uh, legislation they're allowed to actually do this? Uh, is, it, is it Census Act? Is it, uh, stats in, Act. Oh, Stats Act. Okay. Data and Stats Act, which was conveniently amended in 2022. Oh, to accommodate something like this? Uh, uh, yes. I haven't checked the or cross-checked the differences in the amendments between the Data and Statistics Act of 2022 and the, I think it was the Statistics Act before then, but certainly it is empowering. It appeared when I reviewed it to be empowering stat uh, st stats officers um, with more power um, 
Is, there, is this like doing the census every time? Yeah. But perhaps uh, a few less questions. I mean, if the questions are about the financial um, wherewithal of a household, why every single person in the household needs to be questioned, why those under 15 need to have um, the questions answered for them. Because they need to calculate the universal benefit. I think that that it's more to do with the universal benefit than CB, um, Central Bank Digital Currency. The two are linked, but yeah, okay. So they're they're getting ready for that. You can decide that as well. You don't need to go and visit people and, and knock on their door and then find out, you know, how much, uh, how many people in their household, how many animals. It's just. Have you um, seen the questions uh, in total, like the whole list? Or Say that again. A bit of that dropped out. Oh, has, have you, Katie, seen the list of questions that people are being asked? Is there uh, someone sent a document or have you? And I just wondered if one of them relates to vaccination status. Uh, I haven't seen any of the questions. I understand that it was a meeting and the only people that have reached out to me have asked, been asking whether or not they have to uh, to do it. Oh, mm-hmm. um, the There is a page called um, Living in uh, Aotearoa Survey. So you can jump onto the Stats New Zealand website and see what it's all about but you know it's in in 5,000 households last year 7,300 this year um you know what are we going to do make it 10,000 next year and how many households are left still struggling to work out why you'd want to do that given all the uh, that information seems to be available pretty well yeah absolutely and look I've just generically described to you what the types of questions are that they say that they ask um I haven't being privy to the questions or anything. So if anyone, if any of the listeners have, by all means, please let us know. Yeah, if you're uh, involved in the survey, let us that's know. That's correct. That's correct. And so quite a few people have asked about, um, you know, am I required to do this? And the uh, Data and Statistics Act uh, suggests that you do. Uh, and then there's fines if you don't. Uh, 2000 I think, was for the individual and 12000 for a company. Because they're really trying to make you do stuff these days, aren't they? Hey. Eh? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. There is a huge um, additional Push. workload and onus, um, incredible amounts of regulation, which only increased costs. We've got a cost of living crisis, and uh, yet we're doing. Seems the country or the governing part of the country seems to be doing its damned hardest to ramp up um, costs and inflation left, right, and centre. Feels like we're at a war with the bureaucracy all the time now. They just want to look after us and tell Keep us, us safe. And tell us what to do. And look after our well-being. Yeah, and look, that's indicative of the you know last three and a half years. Yeah, okay. On, I've just gone actually had a look at that website, and of course, it says that your information will be kept totally confidential and secure, uh, which is very nice. And I'm sure those. Uh, firearms owners whose email addresses and information was inadvertently leaked on email a week ago will have something to say to that. I'm sure that the people who have had their Ministry of Health data hacked into and stolen will have something to say about that. I'm sure that the 170-odd thousand uh, GE, General Finance, people who had all their data uh, stolen, um, I don't know, six months ago, uh, driver's licences and everything like that, and, and a big hack, I'm sure they'll have something to say about that. 
etc., etc., etc. And I'm sure Mrs. Phillips in England, who had £800,000 stolen from her bank account and shipped over to UAE, I'm sure she thought her money was safe too. Uh, so, yeah, but don't worry. They're going to collect the information off you, store it in a government um, computer, and it will be kept secure and safe. And, and, and the government departments, um, IRD and DIA and WIND and everybody, they won't cross-share it or they won't tap into it at all. Never. Never in a million years. And none of their staff will be curious and access the data just for their own jollies? Never in a million years, no. And look, don't forget that they've got the ability to share this information with trusted researchers, uh, which caused me to uh, issue a OIA, Official Information Act, request to uh, the uh, Stats New Zealand to find out who all of these trusted uh, third party or trusted researchers are. And look, there's quite a list. I can also post the um, OIA response uh, that I got to that. And I am sure that all of their networks, uh, uh, Nick, are safe and secure. Oh, dear. All right, anything more to say on the Aotearoa survey? Uh, not at this stage, but by all means, if any of the listeners have had to uh, partake or have partook, uh, please uh, let us know the types of questions. So yes, we've got these third-party trusted researchers that uh, supposedly Stats uh, New Zealand provide this information to, and Nick, I'm sure that they too have a safe and secure um, internet and uh, technical data storage system, so breaches won't be happening there either. That's good to know. All right. Okay, so uh, let's uh, move on to our next item, and this is the story of the uh, the man, Nathan Symington, I think his name is, jailed for shooting pictures of politicians, including the then Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. Okay, so it's probably not a great look shooting pictures of people, but, you know, it's nothing new. Um, and he's going to jail. What do we make of this? Yeah, well, I think uh, view is what uh, is, is pretty much mirrors yours that the guy's an idiot and a fool and uh, a bit immature. How, how old is he? Uh, 38, so probably <laughs> certainly old enough to know better, I would have thought. Um, however, you have to wonder about the severity of the sentence. He went to jail for 18 months uh, and um, that was for allegedly possessing, a, a, unlawfully possessing a firearm. He never had a firearms licence. Uh, but he had somehow a firearm, and, and he, he filmed himself with a firearm and a crossbow, I think, shooting um, not just uh, images, I think, of, of um, former Prime Minister Ardern, but of other high-profile, the media article said, high-profile politicians. So, And he made a video of it and did all a bit of a laugh, he thought, and distributed it and said, hey, look, this is what I, you know. Um, I mean, you could... You could I guess if you want, look, if you put a photo of a politician on a dartboard and throw a dart at it, are you in trouble too? Who knows? Well, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, except he's used a gun, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, but the other, the, the subliminal... Well, okay, uh, what about the crossbow then? Well, yeah, I've got a crossbow, but, the, you know, I mean, we just remember as people made comment online, the TV and dead reporters who threw a pin or had a, a doll of Donald Trump a year and a half ago on their TV show and were sticking pins in it and laughing about it and, and defacing it and what have you. Well, that was fine, obviously. That's a state-owned TV channel doing that. Um, but the interesting thing about uh, and for me about this is the subliminal messages that are being sent 
through both the media, I think, and and, and maybe even the courts. And uh, and I'll just highlight a couple of things. Well, one is the uh, the, the sentencing judge uh, said that um, he was spreading um, hateful propaganda and wait for it, misinformation. Right. So um, I'm sure he didn't go to jail for spreading misinformation. In fact, I'm sure he, I know he didn't go to jail for that. He went to jail for, um, um, well, his misinformation allegedly was part of the video, as I suppose, that he took of himself shooting the Prime Minister and others. But uh, it's, that, it's that wording that, you know, repeat it more often than not and people start to believe it, I suppose. So uh, the judge said that, you know, he shouldn't be, um, uh, perhaps should be held criminally liable for spreading misinformation. But of course, the Herald had to publish a, a photograph of this poor uh, victim, I suppose, or this offender, as he is, um, with a uh, MAGA hat on. Uh, and of course, it's not Make America Great Again, it was Make Ardern Go Away hat. Okay, so so they put that they put that on 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 the Herald article, just above the judge's comments, and it's it's just as I say, the subliminal type messaging that um, you know is being fed, uh, that um, it, it just kind of worries me. That I mean, sure, I go back to what I said at the start. That what a dickhead, thirty eight years old, he's lost his job. He's, he's been you know his girlfriend's left him, and, and people think you're a loser for doing this, and he is. Um, but on the one hand, uh, we, we, you know, it, it's a form of protest, okay? It's a form of protest. Well, people burn effigies of people and... Um, and, and, and flags of countries. Yeah. Right? It's a form of protest, and, um, and, and he argued it was kind of a form of, of his expression and, and a, a freedom of expression. Uh, it was kind of an artwork. Well, that, you know, who knows whether it is or not. I mean... It's so um, subjective what art is these days. So, well, anyway, there was that American comedian who cut the, you know, they had the headless Trump, you know, and holding the head and stuff like that. I don't think anything like that happened to her. Worry is, as I say, the worry, and I go back again to Billy Tikahika uh, and his his uh, lock up and his arrest um, and sentence for three months in jail for his. Protest that the worry is that you commit an offence that involves anything against the state, the crown, or the government, or anything along those lines, or other such minorities, the Muslims here, anything inkling toward that, and you're in severe trouble. Uh, but we know that you know Mr. Matu Reed, who you know killed those two people in the in the building in Auckland. Well, you know he broke his girlfriend's neck practically. Uh, and beat her up and was a violent man, but he, he manages to get an ankle bracelet on and he stays at home. So as I say, um, I, I actually think there's, there, there are worrying signs about um, about this sort of um, um, inconsistency, if I can put it that way. I mean, like you say, the guy's a dick. Obviously, it's a dumb thing to do. It's not a good look. But no one got hurt. It's nothing that hasn't been done before, and there are a lot of angry people for whatever reason. Now, I'm not trying to justify it, but to have that consequence that sentence and then to hear now that it's misinformation somehow as if anyone who saw that would want to go out and emulate it immediately people don't do that so yeah anyway but, i was look i was yeah. just reviewing actually the um the the legal article uh on, on that he got sentenced to two years and six months in jail right 
So that, uh, that's a decent sentence, to be honest. And, and and that's compared to the guy who went and wiped out two lives in Auckland, who um, strangled uh, the girlfriend and did all those things. You see, the difference there, though, is they had a tough childhood. Mm. They weren't safe and the well-being was low. And he probably had a cultural war. Yeah. So, you know, that's a whole different category. But okay. Yep. And what was the what was the charge? I think there were numerous what you mean for the chap with the with the photos and the gun. In Christchurch? Yeah. Yeah. Uh possession of a possession of a firearm. Right. Um, and he, they never found the firearm, and I don't think he told them where he got it from, but it wasn't his anyway. Um but the other uh, the other charge or what he was convicted on, uh, well, I'll just find it here, was I think it was uh, possession and distributing a, a objectionable, material, objectionable material. Wow. So that's uh, exactly where we're going with the censorship le- legislation. That's right. Okay, censorship. Yeah. This is square on it. Here we go. Sentencing on a charge of distributing an objectionable publication with knowledge, with knowledge uh, and a lawful possession of a firearm. So if he was shooting pictures of Trump, what would have happened, do you think? Well, well, I think I, it would have been fine. No, well, I think it's not the shooting. The, the charge wording here is distributing. So yeah, okay, he shot the, the, pictures of Trump and then put them out there on social media. Well, yeah, exactly. They would yeah. have been applauding it. Yeah. 100%. But let's just put this into context. They've clearly already got the powers to shut yes. down and take down a material which is... Um, which is objectionable, bill, yeah. which is greater than what they're proposing. You know, that is extreme behaviour. What they're proposing in this online censorship laws is, is so much lower than than extreme content. So it brings those that that punishment regime, if you want, down to that lowers the bar way down. Correct. To to be in, to be lined up for that. Nice. Okay. Just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Okay. All Never right. Never in the law. No, it's not. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Never dull moment. Okay. And uh, the other story that um, we should probably uh, acknowledge is the payout received to the woman. People will remember on video from the protest. I think she was grabbed by the hair, pulled out of the crowd, uh, mostly naked, almost fully naked, and um, spent some time in the cells in the woman's prison. I think in Wellington, she's been paid out what's happened there yeah so this was an article where it confirmed that uh laura Casson, i think her name is uh was uh paid out by the police uh five thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars for their conduct towards her so a pretty incredible amount given that we don't really do damages in uh in, in new zealand uh but yes the judge awarded her a significant payout from the police. Is this one of the ones that Tudor Clee helped? Um, yeah, it's exactly who it is. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I think what happened, Paul, is that uh, Tudor, who's a barrister and has been fighting uh, extremely well, and in fact Tudor um, was, I think, won uh, New Zealand Lawyer of the Year uh, for the last twelve months. So just for his work he's done for um, over the you know. Um, the lockdown and the, um, the the woman who the people who couldn't come back to New Zealand and and people like um, Charlotte Ballas and others. So anyway, Tudor represented this lady here, and if I just remember, I'm, and I'm just going off memory, 
he made a request of the police for the identity of the officer who pulled out the lady from the crowd. And the uh, the man in charge of the case or the detective senior sergeant or somebody said, oh, refused, I think, on two occasions, uh, re- just ignored the request and then said, don't know who it is, we can't identify them or something. But it came out the day before the trial that, in fact, this detective, this senior police officer, was good friends with the uh, man uh, who'd pulled her out and, and well knew who it was. And when it came to the trial, Tudor's girlfriend, actually, the day before the trial, had figured out who it was. And uh, and then, and they, they were able to embarrass the police on the day of the trial in the court. And I think that's what led uh, the judge to make some of the comments that he did about uh, the police's conduct and withholding that information. Uh, etc. Okay. etc. Yeah, that's he, exactly he, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Next, the judge awarded Casson five seven fifty, recognising the costs to Casson of the trial that would have been avoided if uh, Cobden had not made his serious mistakes of uh, failing or refusing to that give the details of that's three officers. And look, that's a really interesting point because that was an argument used by uh, in the IPCA report uh, into the um, uh, police sorry, into the Wellington protest, was they couldn't identify the police officers. Uh, And that was often the default position for many of the reasons for not investigating further. So, you know, how how hard did they look? How much below the surface did they scratch? Uh, And here we've got, you know, just another perfect example of um, the protecting their own. I really do hope that that money isn't come from um, the public purse. Sorry, what do you mean by that? Well, in uh, legal cases, if a lawyer mucks up a case or delays it unnecessarily, the law firm or lawyer can be um, have the costs, uh, I think it's called wasted costs, directed towards them or their firm, and those can be ordered. I would hate to think that in this case where you've got a police officer deliberately um, uh, affecting the course of justice uh, by failing to disclose key information that he well knew of, uh, that 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 the police is paying this out of its public purse. Uh, it should, you know, be coming from from the officer. I'd be docking uh, his wages. Compton. I'd be docking his wages. Absolutely. It, 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 you know, he actually shouldn't be a police officer. He's shown that he's not fit. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> what yes, a twist. So I've just found um, the award that Tudor Clee won. He's been voted by other lawyers, actually, in the, in the profession as the most influential lawyer in New Zealand for 22-23 and lawyer of the year. So good on Tudor. Um, you've done you've done some great work um, for for a lot of people around this country during you know the the, the COVID era and and the um, especially the immigration and migration and border stuff. Uh, we, huge, we, should, work. we should try and get him as a guest on our legal hub. That's great. Something to think I, about. I, I think we should. That's yeah, that would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, I think we've just about hit the uh, time all on Legal Hub for this week. Interesting cases, as always, never a dull moment. I'd like to thank Katie Ashby-Coppins and Nick Kearney for joining us again. We'll do it all again same time next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.